0: Take that with you after a game four win, 119 109. We aren't done yet, follow. Well, we're not. How about that? The resilient Mavs fight back and win. They led by as many as 29. They get the W. You're off to San Francisco this afternoon. I am, yeah. To call the game on radio. So much happened. We had a little bit of everything. We had threes falling. We had rain falling. We did,
1: yeah. Raining outside, raining inside, threes raining. Uh, but I love the game last night, man. You know we got a we got a lot to talk about. Not uh, a ton of time, of course, as we do this. But we got a lot to talk about from last night.
0: Well, I, I always like to start things a little light. Uh, obviously, the rain delay hit. You and I were on the broadcast in Minnesota when the first rain delay hit. Yeah, March twenty first, Mavericks and Timberwolves. In and now how Airborne long Center. was that delay, from our, your recollection? Twenty minutes. Yeah, I think
1: the game, you know, would have started at seven forty. It ended up starting at eight.
0: And this one was about.
1: I counted it as sixteen minutes from when the half should have started. To when it actually did start. And maybe I could be off by a minute on that or something like that. So we're going to talk
0: later yeah. about the impact on the teams. I want to talk about the impact on you because right. uh, I was on the radio broadcast with Coop when the rim was a, a kilter. Right. And we had a 44 minute delay. And Coop and I basically did 44 straight minutes of ad living <laughs> sports talk with no right. commercial breaks. Right. And I noticed that when we had the Minnesota delay, Threw it right back to studio. Right. Followell's like, I don't get paid for this. (laughs) No extra time. Get it back to Dana and Devin. So, how, how did you handle it on the radio broadcast?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, we just, uh, Brad and I talked about it. Uh, and you know, for those who don't know, uh, you know, our, our good friend, Coop, uh, you know, his mother, 84 year old, 84 years old, Judy passed away Monday. He shared all of this on social media. So we're not saying anything that, you know, he, he doesn't want out there. And he'll be uh, back for a game six. Yes, that's correct. So I did game four on the Eagle Mavericks radio network last night and we'll do game five tomorrow night in San Francisco. Uh, if the Mavericks, uh, forces us to a game six, which of course we're all hoping so Coop will be back. So last night, uh, you know, we we uh, talked most of the time. Uh, we did take one two-minute break once we knew that the five-minute warm-up period had started, um, just to kind of reconnoiter. Go
0: sixteen minutes. Oh, we could have. Coop and I went yeah. forty-four.
1: We could have gone sixteen no, minutes, you but it was just nice to uh, to have a couple of minutes to kind of collect our thoughts and get ready to restart the game. You're such a but, demanding uh, diva. I'm so demanding. Now we uh, we we talked about what was going on. Uh, you know, it kind of helped to have the, pa- the fact that this has happened before to recap that. And what we knew about the previous situation, which was, I believe, that when the storm hit on March 21st, um, due to high winds, high winds carried a piece of debris into the roof at American Airlines Center, which uh, got it in some sort of sensitive spot and pierced the roof. And that's what caused some leakage of rain then. And I suppose that uh, since it was all in the same area, I guess uh, the, uh, you know, residual damage from that two months ago still existed. And that's what caused that again last night. I don't know that that's for certain, but
0: I'm just it kinda, was in the same area. Yeah, so
1: uh, the exact same area. So yeah, I'm kind of surmising that that was the case.
0: Well, we'll get to, to some of the impact if there was one on the game, but the, the, the lead story, and there, there's more than this lead story. I think we have to, and we'll, we'll break this down, but the lead story is that the Mavs hit their shots last night. Right. And they hit their threes. Um, the others, and I say the others are everybody, but Luca Brunson and Dimwitty mm-hmm. were 15 of 27 overall. The Mavs shot 46.5, 20 threes out of 43 attempts. They're the, they, they have the most games in the NBA in the playoffs with 15 plus threes. Yeah, ever. Ever. Mm-hmm. Um, the key number for me is that Bullock, Finney Smith, and Kleba in game three were two of 17 from three, mm-hmm. and in this game they were 12 of 20. Right. Um, and I think, Brian, before you
1: go any farther, the key to that for me is particularly Bullock and Kleba, because both of those guys were offers in game three. Uh, Bullock was over 7 on threes and 0-10 overall from the floor and Maxey was 0 for 5. And to see those guys not be deterred by negative things that happen, and look, that's a very, very important part of NBA basketball, uh, but it's obviously it's easy for us to sit here and say that. Uh, it's a lot harder in practice to do it, especially when you've had a poor game when the lights are really bright and everybody's focused on what's going on when you're in the conference finals. So both Bullock and Kleba bounced back, and last night Reggie goes 6 for 10 on threes and had 18 points. And Maxi goes five of six overall, two of three on threes, and had 13.7 boards in two blocks. Maxi was our postgame radio guest last night. He was our postgame player interview and talked about, you know, just uh, the desire. He actually even spoke to Reggie's mentality a little bit because he said he and Reggie talked before the game, and Reggie said, man, uh, I'm daring those guys to leave me open tonight. And. Uh, they left him open, and he made shots. And that was fantastic to see both of those guys bounce back. And Finney Smith was part of that bounce back as well. He at least made a couple of threes in game three. But I love what Finney Smith did in terms of he mixed up his game a little bit last night. It wasn't just threes. He put the ball down. He cut off the ball and got passes at the rim because he did. And it was, you know, great performance by all three of those
0: guys. We talked a lot about last pod about why the threes haven't been falling. Um, but when we look at the – the stats here, the, the, the analytics, you know, shot quality has not been the problem Right. in this series. Mm-hmm. And Itzhak Franco had uh, some good numbers on this this morning. In the games one through four, 50, their shot quality was 50, 52, 53, and 55. They had their best shot quality in game four. In game four. Right.
1: But it's not appreciably different than the
0: other games. Right. Yeah. And they did shoot the ball well in game two, and I think we all think they should have won game two. Yes. So when they shoot the ball well, they should or did win. Mm-hmm. And when they haven't, they lose. Right. Um, but uh, the corner threes have also gone up. In, the, in They went from 12, 12, 13, 18. Mm-hmm. 18 corner threes in game four. I don't know. I was trying to count on the shooting chart, and, and Bobby, I don't know if you have the corner threes from last night. I had 8 of 15, but obviously that's wrong since there were 18 corner threes. Um,
1: Well, while you look that up, Bobby, let me know when you get it because I want to say just by comparison on corner threes. Against Utah, the Mavs shot 44% on corner threes. Against Phoenix, they shot 48% on corner threes. And in the first three games of the series, the Mavs were 10 for 36, which is about 28% on their corner threes. They and had that, that's their bread and butter. On, yeah, they had plummeted on corner threes in the first three games of the series.
0: 9 of 18. Nine, 9 of 18, 18. Nine Nine of 18, of 18 Bobby from last well, night. So that, 50%. That awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, fantastic
0: performance in that regard last night. Um, and, you know, they had on wide open looks to date in the series shot 33.7%. They went 12 of 21 on wide open looks. And they again, wide open 57% looks are last night. 6 plus, 6 yeah. feet or plus nearest defender. Right. Um, the open looks have not been good. They haven't been good all year on open looks, which is 4 to 6 feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they weren't good last night either. And they, so they need to get wide open looks. Well, how do right. you get a wide open looks? Dribble penetration, suck that defense in, and kick out. And they did a better job of that, although they didn't drive as much. As you were saying right before we went on the air in this game. Yeah, as defined by the NBA's player tracking data of what a drive is anyway. Um, A lot of that is due to the zone Mm -hmm. that was implemented. Yeah, There was only 17 possessions of zone in game three. There were 23 possessions of zone in game four. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to look at uh, the adjustments made on the zone because I had kind of come to the feeling that we were not going to see as many adjustments that it was more about execution than strategy, mm-hmm. but because the zone has been implemented and Jake had talked about this post game, and I don't know if you're able to hear this, um, but he basically almost a little bit of bulletin board materially said, you know, they're going to the zone cause they can't guard us man to man, which is true if you think about it, because they're trying to hide either Kaminga to a bit, but mostly pool. When he's in there, mm-hmm. and Curry, and, and, and Curry, of course, and they're going to that zone, and they did some one-two-two, two, some two-three. Uh, what the Mavs did to adjust for that is they would overload the strong side, and make Draymond Green in a lot of cases pick. So if you move, you know, you 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 run Finney Smith, let's say, over to the strong side, then you've got three players over there, and the the guy in the post let's say Draymond has to choose which guy he wants to guard. And you saw a lot of quick passes three while they were getting confused. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, we said earlier,
1: the drive numbers were lower last night, but again, you know, the NBA and their player tracking data has real specifics for them about what constitutes a drive that you have to, Uh, Start from more than 20 feet away from the basket and reach more reach less than 10 feet away from the basket and and that's, you know, their definition of a drive. I do think there were some probes into pockets into pockets of space in the zone and, and not driving necessarily all the way to the basket, but driving it. Part of the way into the zone and then getting the zone moving and then start to swing the ball around the perimeter and then maybe later in the possession there would be a drive to get all the way to the basket because you'd gotten the defense moving and out of position or a wide open three because i thought there were some fantastic ball movement possessions last night i mean there were possessions brian where all five players on the floor on offense and a short period of time touched the ball there were times when the ball would work as all the way around from somebody in the left corner who received it on a kickout, and it would go all, you know, somebody drives it, kick to the left corner, then to somebody on the left wing, then up top, then to somebody over on the right side of the floor. So it was really cool to see the way they
0: moved the ball last night. 30 assists on 41 shots. That. Yeah is a ball movement. And, and, yeah, to, your and, point, and
1: to, to, to give people a comparison, Golden State led the league this year with an assist on around 69% of their baskets. The Mavs were middle of the pack with an assist on 59% of their baskets during the regular season. So to have an assist last night on 30 to 41,
0: which is almost 75%, that's fantastic. And of course, when you make shots, your assist numbers goes up. So yep. That's why Luke sure. had nine assists as opposed to three from the other night, because when you're shooting under 30% from three, and most of his assists are going to be kickouts for threes. Right. It's going to be hard to get those assist numbers. Uh, they may not have attacked the rim as much, but the shots at the rim have gone up 13, 12, 15, 17 in the four games. Mm-hmm. So they had their most shots at the rim Yep, that's um, good. In, this, in this series. But back to the zone, because I think we're going to see more of that. Mm-hmm. And Jake Kidd, in his comments, I was kind of wondering, and I asked you this on radio last night, whether it was gamesmanship because... I, I still, in my own head, don't know if we want to see the zone or not. I think it is an admission by Golden State that they can't play man to man when they have certain personnel on the floor. And Otto Porter Jr. hurts them not having him available. Mm-hmm. Um, but. He's a smart, solid, rugged defender. He's got some length, some size. Yep. Um, so does, was J Kidd playing a little gamesmanship, saying, you know, uh, kind of like. Quinn Snyder said, "Hey, you know, you play small. We're just going to out rebound you." Of course, right. he didn't want us to play small, so he was, <laughs> you know, doing that. Do you think that was the case? Because, you know, they did make some adjustments. That 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 conundrum I said about Draymond Green. Well, what they would do then is is move Draymond up and move the the guy on the weak side, low post, over, which then leaves the guy in the corner for the Mavs wide open. But mm-hmm. you have to get that ball over or swing it over, right. and they're hoping to recover. But the Mavs counter that was was using Luca off ball, mm-hmm. and Jalen would bring the ball up, and then Luca would try to attack the zone. So there were you know there were adjustments to the adjustments to the adjustments, and we did see the zone have some effect in that fourth quarter with the reserves in there. So your thoughts on some of the gamesmanship and the zone itself? Well, I don't think there was much gamesmanship uh, in
1: terms of kids' comments. As I told you last night, I think Jay Kidd's just speaking about how he feels in regards to things, and I don't necessarily think he's trying to bait them into playing more man-to-man. They did adjust to the zone and were effective against it, and I think they can be effective against it. Um, You know, the fact that in the fourth quarter uh, they didn't execute as well on the offensive end of the floor and the zone was more, appeared to be more effective, I do wonder how much that had to do with The personnel that were on the floor at the start of the fourth quarter, because it was Brunson and four guys off the bench: Dinwiddie, Bertons, Green, and maybe Nilakina. Is that right? At the beginning of the fourth quarter, yeah. But it was four. It was four guys. It was it was Brunson and four guys off the bench. Maybe Kleba instead of Nilakina. But again, uh, a twenty-nine point
0: lead. Yeah, twenty-nine
1: point lead. And I do wonder. You know, this game got to an eight-point. This got to an eight-point game with four minutes left Uh, early in the fourth quarter. um, The Mavs had to bring back Finney Smith and Bullock later in the fourth quarter. J. Kidd had to bring back Luca. Uh, I know there was probably some disappointment that that happened. Well, I don't. I, not probably. I'm quite sure there was disappointment that that happened. Uh, and I and I wonder how much of the zone's effectiveness was, uh, who was on the floor, and did uh, the Mavs play the scoreboard there at the beginning of the fourth quarter? And Golden State's Which young is guys to some did extent. not.
0: Yes, of course. With we we a 29 point lead. Yeah,
1: it is, and that's why. By the way, that's why I wrote down in my notes when we were doing Game Seven. And I wrote in my diary I kept during the game, don't play the scoreboard when they were up by 30 at the half in Game 7. And they did not in that game against Phoenix. Brunson was great in the third quarter, and Phoenix never got a sniff of getting back in the game, unlike what happened last night where Golden State's group off the bench, uh, Bielitza, Kuminga, Moses Moody. Talked to some folks from Golden State last night who think the world of him. You know, he's a high-IQ young player, they've said. And so that's a, that's a good future piece for Golden State. Moody, who was drafted at the end of the lottery last year, 14th and in the we first remember round. him, of
0: course, with his 12 points, he scored in yeah. the fourth quarter of the last regular season game between yeah. these two teams when we he was trapping
1: Curry. He had, 10 points, he had 10 points last night. I don't know how many of them were in the fourth quarter, but it feels like the majority of them were, because I believe he hit two threes for sure in the fourth quarter. I think maybe eight of his 10 points were in the fourth quarter last night. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought the map switched off a little bit, and uh, – it came too close for comfort in terms of biting him in the butt, but fortunately, it did not. Uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is Bullock and Finney Smith ended up getting their minutes back up into the high thirties. Luca ended up having to play also about thirty-eight minutes last night. When you know you could have gotten Finney Smith and Bullock, you know, uh, nine fewer minutes of game time last night. Luka maybe six or seven fewer minutes of game time because you had to go back to those guys.
0: So let's talk about that fourth quarter and what happened there. Because uh, it's interesting to see the comments from both coaches as, I, as we were doing the TV post game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kid said, Well, we made them put their starters back in. So, all good. We won the game. Kerr was like, Hey, we made them work. Right. Uh, they're both spinning it in their directions. Of course. Yeah. Um, Not surprising. In my view, for Kerr, listen, I, I like that he rode with the players that got him back. Right. And I think that that can benefit them because those were all their bench players. It was Kaminga, Moody, Lee, Bielitsa. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are needed for spot minutes in duty in a tough game down the stretch, mm-hmm. either now or if they make the finals, that's going to serve them well. So I think that that is a, an unfortunate positive for the Warriors. I from concur from with that. Absolutely, absolutely concur with that. I also think, and I talked to Devin about this because Devin was a part of those units that would make runs, Mm-hmm. And, and Rick would run with those teams. There, There's a balance there of do you keep running with them mm-hmm. and make the st- – and I also think there is something to making the starters see effort being played. Yes. Because the starters are like, okay, guys, this is what effort looks like. You've been mailing it in. And, and the Warriors do have a tendency to play with their food at times. Yes, I agree with that. And by the way, uh, uh, Greg
1: Popovich has done – Yes. Also, something very similar where they've been down big, and a bench group gets them back in, and he rides with those guys.
0: And there's a luxury to knowing they're going back for Game Five. No team's ever come back in 146 series and 3-0 yep. and all yep. that. So he, right. he he can play with it a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but he put the starters back in, and they were timeouts called. I think that the the challenge that Kerr did late on the on the Brunson foul. Yeah, the Kuminga offensive yeah, foul, right? Right on the Brunson play, yeah, right? Brunson drew a charge, right? I think that was buying time. I think he probably knew that that wasn't gonna win, but, it but was, it was, I, it was, I thought it was a smart
1: challenge, though. Beyond just buying time, you never know. And that and Kuminga scored, you know, mm-hmm. that basket, so he's got a chance if they change that call for, an to, for a for an and one and a three yeah, point play and make it even
0: more uncomfortable. But he did buy them some time, and so I wondered if he would even put the starters back in. Mm-hmm. But he did, and it didn't work. But he thought, as he said post game, "Why not?" look for a miracle. Of course, why not? Um, but on the Mavs side, um, you know, does this change the mindset going into game five? I don't think the Mavs were going to be cocky going into game five after a huge win, especially when you're down three, one in a series. Mm -hmm. But is there a silver lining of, okay, you know, we, we still have some things to work at maybe against the zone or just in general, uh, this keeps us on alert. I would say that that's that's the thing that you hope
1: comes out of it is, uh, you know, a realization of we played a good game, but obviously we still made some mistakes. We let them back into the game. Uh, You know, they let them back in in game two and lost as a result. And I was not the bench group. That was, you know, Golden State starters. That was Looney and Curry and Clay and Draymond, everybody having a really good, you know, uh, amongst their starting group having a great third quarter. So I think the lesson there is, uh, they've been burned by giving up a big lead once, a big lead once in this series and uh, got too close to getting burned again last night when 29 goes to 8 in the span of about 8 minutes and a quarter. So uh, I, I think we Was we're, the
0: pitch in your voice getting a little higher oh, with no each one basket? Uh, there was
1: absolute, absolute uncomfortability when it got below 15. When it was getting to 15 and 14 and just kept on ticking down, it's like, yeah, there was unquestionably a nervous energy in my voice and a realization of this thing is now a game. You know, Even though it's 10 or 12 points with five minutes to go, 10 or 12-point leads can go away in five minutes. It doesn't happen very often. uh, And 29-point leads going away in a quarter certainly doesn't happen very often. But these things do happen, uh, even how rare they might be. So there was absolutely
0: nervous energy in my voice. I believe it would have been the second biggest uh, playoff comeback ever. There was a 31-point comeback that the Clippers had. Against Golden State there in 2019, in the first round, yeah. You're amazing, it's <laughs> just I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's um, weird, yeah. So let's, let's talk about the third quarter. The Mavs had been outscored by 31 in the third quarters. Coming into this game, they outscored the Warriors by 14. Yeah, 37 23. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the rain delay off the top. Do you think there is some impact there. And Jay Kidd talked about the fact that we've had a rain delay before. Yeah. I can't believe we're having this conversation right. about a basketball game, but we are, we <laughs> had the rim delay, which was 44 minutes. Yeah. And the game against Philly. And so the Philly, Mavs have yeah. gone through this. Um, do you think there is an adjustment? And I talked to Dirk about this and Devin last night saying, yes, they both said as players uh, that screws them up, mm-hmm. that they have to you know, work to get warm again. You saw Luca go back in the locker room. hmm and, and want to go put up shots because they oddly, and, and you know more about this, uh, how it works, but they were they brought the, the balls out and then they, they took them back. Uh, but they were still working on it. So I think they maybe thought, OK, well, we're going to start up soon. Mm-hmm. We don't want you just jacking up shots. Right. So Luca was just like, well, screw this. I'm going to go put up shots in the practice facility. Yeah, I'm not sure why they did it. Did it that way, other
1: than there was only one rim that you could really safely shoot at. Since oh,
0: to make it be, to make it fair, yeah,
1: yeah. So so it's like, well, we don't want you know the, the the rim in front of the Mavericks bench, and that area of the floor was fine. It was all down by the Warriors bench, so that would be my initial. That's my supposition on why they would have done it that way.
0: So, do you think there is a psychological impact to what happened? Uh, considering the Mavs have been through this.
1: Yeah, well, look, man, it's all conjecture, of course, and things worked out well for the Mavs, so I'm going to lean to thinking there was some kind of impact. Um, we'll never know, but this is what I thought and was talking about with Brad on the radio broadcast, and, and I said this before, and I said, I guess we'll find out after the fact if what we're saying is true or not. Um, Golden State is ready to come out for the third quarter after they've had you know, whatever their team talk was at halftime. Uh, Knowing
0: that they that this has been their quarter all yes, series
1: exactly so that's that's my point they're ready to come out and ready to like okay guys we're gonna do what we've done in the third quarter all series long and they've got their third quarter mojo and they're ready to come out and hit the floor and get started and then there's that delay and I do wonder how much that sort of took a little bit of the edge off for them as they're getting ready to come out and think that they're going to you know they they believe that they're going to do what they've done all series they've had the Uh, again, the appropriate team talk, and they think they've made the right adjustments and they've got their mindset right for the third quarter, and then you come out and then it's like, stop. So, again, conjecture. I think it probably had a negative impact on them if I were to say that there was any sort of impact out of that at all. You know, uh, talking with the guys on the radio show on the ticket last night, you know, Justin made the point, well, hey, the Mavs had to sit through the delay too, and, of course, that's exactly right. But as you actually pointed out, the Mavs have walked down this road, unfortunately, a couple of times this year. And I think there's just, if anything happened last night, I'll go back again to Golden State probably is of the mindset of we're going to go right back out and do what we do. And they probably are mentally locked in to repeat all of the success they've had in the third quarter of this series. And there's a disruption to that focus and that being locked in that they had. That's, that's my opinion on it. Is that does that sound logical? I think that's am I, exactly am right. I full of crap, or what? no? I think that's yeah. right.
0: Yeah, I, I I do think on the margins it had an impact. Now, obviously, the Mavs were able to play and execute their game plan. They were eight of thirteen on threes in the third, mm-hmm. and and were able to blow that game open instead of what we saw in previous series, right? Where it got tighter. And of course, blowing the game open means it was another blowout in the NBA, yeah, which we've seen amazing epidemic of. Mm-hmm. This is uh, crazy. I don't know if you saw this stat, but in the last 19 games, right, there has been one game that has had a margin of under six points.
1: And was that uh, maybe the game four between Golden State and Memphis when Golden State squeaked out the three-point I believe win? it was uh, Milwaukee and... Um, Oh well Milwaukee Boston Game Five. Yes. Yeah, Milwaukee Boston Game Five obviously was right down to the very end.
0: And in those nineteen games mm-hmm. combined, there are seven minutes of clutch time that have wow. been played. That's incredible, man. Yeah,
1: I, I don't and I don't have an explanation for it. It's the only weird.
0: explanation I can come up with is that the three point reliance has made the variance on that just mm-hmm. you know like we've seen in this series. You hit them, you make them, you don't, you're out. Right. Injuries have played a large factor in the Eastern Conference sure, uh, Finals. Sure. Um, but and maybe
1: there's something to – I said this before. Maybe there's something to – there's so much – you know, it's the Super Bowl theory. In the Super Bowl, when it's all down, you know, on one game, you panic when you get behind a little bit and you think you're, you're well-equipped and ready to stay the course and not lose your focus and lose your cool. But when it's all down to one game – you freak out, and
0: it all kind of snowballs in and a you negative press a way. Bit. You it's press like a what we bit. talked about last podcast, but the pressure—yeah—taking just a little bit off your shot, your legs, being tired, yep. the level of competition, all of that. The, the, these aren't one-game situations, obviously. Um, although
1: last night was for the Mavs, do or die. But but in most of these cases, they aren't do or die situations. But the stakes are very high, and um, you know, as we've said in countless podcasts before. Uh, when you win these games, you feel like you're never going to lose again. When you lose these games, you feel like you're never going to win again. <laughs> so there is, you know, an enormous amount of pressure on the result of each game because of how it sets the tone for the next game.
0: And there is pressure it, but, on the Warriors in yeah. game five. I mean, they're expected to win this game. And they know that if they lose. Yeah. They're coming back home to Dallas. Right. Um, and... and you know that's when you get the whole well they can just shoot well at home and then it's anything you know so of course <laughs> this is why you take things a game at a time but the the game plan of the mavs is simple i mean the warriors know it we know it it is uh, dribble penetration mm-hmm. to get op- wide open threes right that you can hit mm-hmm. it is running them off the three point line defensively right they had 28 threes they've been averaging 40 a game so you're again you're you're getting them down mm-hmm. 25% less than they they're used to hitting. Yeah. And finishing plays. What does finishing plays means? Rebounding.
1: Yeah. First first time, I mean, not even, you know, hadn't even been close in the first three games of the series. The Mavs were getting out-rebounded by an average of 14 boards per game, and last night the Mavs had a 44-42
0: rebounding edge. Uh, only gave up six offensive rebounds and nine second chance points as opposed to 14 and 18 in those categories in yep. game 3. Mm-hmm. Um the rebounding margin, as you mentioned, a plus three. They were even on turnovers and they won the three point battle by thirty points. Yeah, Max That made is twenty the Golden State made ten. Brian Brainy stats <laughs> that equal a win. And I thought defensively they played a better game. I liked what they did, and I mentioned this in the last podcast as well. I wanted them to, to switch everything and not trap as much. Mm-hmm. And they did. And on the initial action with Curry, they were switching. And then, not, and then waiting for the backside help before they, they did any doubling. And I thought that was a really good move, because I think when they play a one through five when Powell's not in there, um, they can get away with switching everything, I think. And I mm-hmm. think that was a, a good counter to what the, the blender that, that
1: Golden State can put you in. And Golden State, you know, people will say, well, why do you think, Golden, why do you, think you play good defense? Golden State shot 49%. That ballooned way up in the fourth quarter, which was not a good quarter for the Mavs. That was not a good defensive quarter, but three quarters of the game were really good defensive were really good defensive performances in both the first, second, and third quarter for the Mavs.
0: And I, you know, I'm not as concerned about that fourth quarter maybe as as you know. Uh, again, you're up thirty. I'm not as concerned about it as well, but I
1: do think it's a good yes. Thing to use today and practice for a nice for coach reminder of hey yes. guys come on yes correct it uh it certainly is something and, and and it really shows up if the Mavericks are fortunate enough to get a big lead tomorrow night you know they've already blown one big lead in this series otherwise we're talking about a potential 2-2 series um you know and they they you know played with their food way too much in the fourth quarter last night. So that's where, uh, if the Mavs, like I said, are lucky enough to get a big lead tomorrow night, that's where you hope the lessons that are being talked about at the practice that's going to get started here in about 20 minutes, uh, that's where you, you, know, you really
0: hope that the lessons will have taken hold. Uh, but this team has resiliency, and, and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, um, I kept saying I don't want to do the autopsy yet, Yeah, and the Mavs weren't ready for that either. Yeah. And, and th- this is a tough team that has responded all year long. Mm-hmm. And so we shouldn't be surprised by what we saw. By the way, they have not lost four games
1: in a row. They're still having, they, they lost three in a row when Luka was out back in November. They lost two at Phoenix and one at the Clippers. And they lost three in a row when they lost to uh, New Orleans and Memphis at home, New Orleans, Memphis, Brooklyn at home in early December. Uh, and then they ended that streak the next night in Memphis in a road game. So they've lost three in a row, two different times, and now three different times, counting this series. Two in the regular season, one in the playoffs. But they have not lost four games in a row this year.
0: So we're going to take questions here if you're watching us live on Twitch here in a bit. But yep. lastly, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Luca made the All-NBA team. First team. Yep. Again. Yep. Uh, in rare company. He is uh, and you'll know these names because of your well brain, but there's two different name groups that we can talk about. There's okay. the uh, players under 23, 23 and under to do this. Okay. Which is, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin Durant. Um, I have not seen these, these,
1: this, uh, this bit of information. So okay. I'm, so I'm anxious to hear what it is.
0: It's Kevin Durant. Uh, oh, gosh. Now I, I'm missing this. Bobby, help me out. There's the random guy, Max Zavlosky. Oh, Max Zavlosky, yes. who played in the very early days of the NBA. The who is not in the Naismith Hall of Fame? Wow, which is awesome, and and Tim Duncan, Tim Duncan. Okay,
1: those are the only guys who have made it three times,
0: under at twenty three and under. under. Okay, the I think more impressive list is three of your first four years. Okay, at least three of your first four years. Right, which is Luca, George Gervin, Julius Irving, and Larry Bird. Wow, that's awesome, man. That's incredible company. And Either I, list is incredible. And company. I informed Mr. Doncic of that last night that he did not know that he was on that prestigious list, and wow. he was, he was, it took him aback a little bit.
1: <laughs> well, how about that, man? That's awesome. Well, it's good to hear that. Uh, you know, I think Luca has, uh, you know, wonderful respect and appreciation for the game, and so, uh, you know, he knows much like Dirk, he knows his history, uh, he understands who the the greats in the game have been, and you know, although I don't think he's about his own stats or anything like that, you know, and he doesn't like talking about himself, but I do think that he appreciates you know accomplishments like that. And when you're when you're mentioned in, in sentences and in stories with those names, uh, you know, he's he understands the gravity of what it is that he's doing right now.
0: You were you talked to Dirk. Yesterday, for the SMU Athletic Forum. I did. Uh, I was yeah. actually able to make it. I don't even think I told you, but I, I was able to make it right, right before the conversation took place. I saw the first half of your conversation before I went down to uh, the ticket uh, broadcast. Right. Um, your thoughts on his comment that he thinks Luka is a better player than he ever was. And there was a gasp and kind of almost a no, no, no from the crowd to yeah. that. And, yeah. And, and, uh, I think I kind of even did the same thing, too. Is that a... Too. I think he believes what he says. I also think Dirk is a humble person that wants to, to, you know, uh, not shy about leaping praise on someone else. Um, your thoughts on that? I was, I was taken aback by that.
1: Uh, well, I've heard Dirk mention that in another interview forum. Forgive me for not remembering what it is, but I have heard Dirk allude to that before. And I think a lot of what Dirk, you know, Dirk understands this. Uh, the world is a much different place now than it was when Dirk came into the league. Uh, Dirk had never been anywhere, essentially, you know, other than a a limited number of basketball-related trips. Uh, But, you know, it was a major, major culture shock for Dirk to go from Würzburg, Germany, to Dallas, Texas, and compete from the the second division in Germany to playing in the NBA. Uh, In Luca's case, Luca left Ljubljana at 13 years old to sign with Real Madrid. Uh, I think he went through his big life adjustment culture shock at 13 that Dirk didn't go through until he came here at 19 years old. Uh, and so, you know, there's there's just a big, big difference because Luka uh, was much more set up when he got to the NBA for success than Dirk was. Uh, they're two different players. Luka is a shot creator and ball handler in ways that Dirk is not. Uh, you know, although Dirk, certainly for a seven foot player, could put the ball on the floor effectively. But, um, you know, I, I appreciate Dirk's humility uh, and Luca's done some tremendous things. And certainly Luca's first four years are better than Dirk's first four years because, I mean, you know, the first year was a really tough year for Dirk by his own admission. He almost wondered if he wasn't cut out for being in the NBA and came somewhat close, if you you know believe what he said over the years, to not even coming back for a second year. Obviously, he did, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, but, you know, Luka's got a lot of lot of stuff to do in his career, as I'm sure he would be the first to say to match what Dirk has done. But uh, if we're just judging it on, you know, comparing the first four years, and, you know, there's a versatility in Luka's game offensively that Dirk didn't have when he first came into the league. Dirk developed offensive versatility, of course, mid-range, post up, uh, so many different release points on his shots, being able to put the ball down, uh, and the vast array of offensive moves that Dirk developed. Uh, you know, Luca already has a lot of those, but, you know, he's just got to do it over the long haul, which, uh, you know, and before we can even really have that
0: discussion. With well, him, we're but. Dirk Homer's here, as you know. Of course, so.
1: absolutely. And I appreciate Dirk's humility, as, you know, one of the many things we love about that man.
0: Well, let's take some questions as we uh, look ahead to a game five Thursday night. We will have. Uh, Game on the ticket, post game on Bally. Gentlemen,
2: hi Bobby. How are we doing?
0: Awesome, good Hello.
2: man. Good. good, we're in here. It's good to be in here talking about a win today. It's good to see you guys being in here talking about a win today. Um, few questions from the peanut gallery. TZZVS, hi peanut gallery. <laughs> what has gotten into Breton's driving aggressively all the time now? Um, is it more him realizing that he wants to do it more, or do you think it's J-Kid coaching thing? because um, he had gone, I think he had not even taken a two-point attempt in the playoffs until game two.
1: Well, I know, by the way, Maxi didn't take any two-pointers in the first three games of the series and took his first two-pointers last night. But as far as the Bertons thing, look, you, you don't get to this level without having some awareness about what's happening, you know, without being able to read the game. And Bertons, of course, is first and foremost, by a long shot, a three-point shooter. I think eighty-four percent of his shots this year were threes. I think about eighty percent of his shots are threes over the duration of his career. But you have to recognize what the game is presenting you and what the other team is trying to take away from you and give to you. And so I think uh, you know I don't know if how much Jay Kidd's involvement is there and how much of it is just Berton's reading what's going on in the game, but it's probably some combination of both things.
0: Yeah, and Max was actually asked about this post game, and you know he said the same similar that you take what the game offers you, right and they're, they're catch-and-shoot guys, as you mentioned, and mm-hmm. that's what they're predominantly doing. But you know, Golden State doesn't play with rim protection. So right. if, that, uh, if they're closing out really hard and that opportunity's there, then go to the basket and take advantage of that. So there's still basketball players that have those moves in their arsenal, and right. it, it would be, uh, I think, short-sighted to not take advantage of that. Yep. This is a question from me. Um, you guys
2: were talking about how they started switching more. At and, the Corrala. At at Bobby Corella. don't forget the don't forget the first name, Bobby okay. Corella. At Bobby Corella. Um,
0: I think started... his uh, his Twitch handle is Bobby Binoculars.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, switching more blitzing less, do you think that means that maybe they have fewer minutes where it's both Looney and Draymond on the floor together? On uh, the third quarter last night, they went to the death lineup or the pool party, whatever you want to call it, for a little bit. Uh, you know, right before the end of the quarter, do you think that it means less Looney and Draymond minutes together because that's two non-shooters on the floor?
0: Well, that that's always been their concern by playing those two together. That that you know, and and it started clicking more at the end of the Memphis series for those two when when Looney was inserted because Steven Adams was playing a lot for Memphis when they went big towards the end of that series. Um, but they were able to develop a two-man game towards the end of that series, and obviously in the early part of this series. So yes, I think that is an adjustment. The it, it's a bit of pick your poison because offensively, while Looney is effective and can have those cuts and layups and all of that, um, you know he only had three points, six boards last night. I think offensively they're better than the death lineup, mm-hmm. but defensively they're not, and because you, right. you can attack their smalls. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a bit of how do they want to play that? Um, and I,
1: I would assume they went to the smaller lineup in the third quarter last night more quickly because the game was getting away from them yeah I mean Kerr's taking timeouts office. yeah they needed offense Kerr's taking timeouts because Dallas is opening up a 20 plus point lead by the early part of the third quarter so I would suspect that's probably why that there was the adjustment to the to the smaller lineup to the death lineup the pool party whatever you want to call it you know the problem with bringing pool in last night was though that he got in a lot of foul trouble you know, so that uh, that that's the whole thing. That rendered Poole. that rendered him even less effective on defense yes. because of how he had to play with. I mean, he's sitting on five fouls by late in the third quarter. You've got to attack
0: Poole defensively. I yes. mean, you, you, just, you know, you can't just let him uh, have a free pass on that end because he's so explosive offensively. Take advantage of him, mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and they have when they play the def lineup, then you can attack Poole, You can attack Curry. They have multiple people that are defensive liabilities for them. So what do they have to do? They have to play zone, and then we just talked about what they have to do, you know, what they're able to do against the zone. Um, oh, no, Chad is scrolling. Okay, so
2: Booty Tactics asks, uh, Josh Green, it looked like he was developing a lot in the regular season, but in the playoffs so far, outside of that one game against Utah, has been kind of ineffective. Yeah, is that just part of development, or what's going on
1: there? Part of development. Number one, part of development. Um, as we know, going from the regular season to the playoffs is a major jump in intensity of the game. And, you know, quite frankly, as we've seen when he's played, the other team isn't guarding him. So it's hard to have him out on the floor because you're playing four on five on offense, and particularly in this series, you know, you have a defender who can play, I believe as you've coined it, can play free safety as Draymond can. Um, And, of course, nilakina has got a lot of the same sort of offensive issues as well. Uh, He knocked down a three last night, and he also hit – you know, the basketball anthema shot, the uh, mid-range jump shot. He knocked one down in the second half last night, so he had his first five points of the series. But as we've talked about before, uh, Nelvikina gives you a little bit more than Josh does defensively in a lot of these matchups because of his length and just his ability to guard ball handlers. So I yeah. think that's kind of you know what
0: we're talking about. You know, here. Powell's playing those minutes in the beginning of the first and third quarter. Uh, but he's the only other non-shooter, other than Nilakina who's even getting minutes. Yeah. And the playoffs expose a player's weaknesses. You don't have as much leash as a coach, right? To
1: try things out. You're playing against better teams, so therefore, you know it's easier to win games against the you know the teams that you're playing against in the regular season. And Josh is out there to be a part
0: of that. So he knows. I mean, you know, and Skinner said this. You know. Once he develops that three-point shot, mm-hmm. then he's a complete player because yes. we know he can do activity-wise, uh, energy-wise, the cutting, the defense. Uh, but but you can't play four and five, and so and he didn't uh, play it all in the play. He played one garbage time of one game in the playoffs last
1: year. So this is essentially Green's first time in the playoffs and the elevated intensity of the game. And he would not be the first young player to obviously be you know, uh, a little overwhelmed by their first time in the playoffs. It's happened to many, many players over the course of their course of time in the league. Um, you know, we said this the other day. Wherever it comes from, and it could potentially be his further development, one of the things that you look for for next year, we said, and I would have said this if the Mavs were up 3-1 in this series, Bullock and Finney-Smith have had to take on an enormous workload, as we know, throughout these playoffs. The Mavericks need more 3-and-D depth next year. Obviously, Hardaway would be part of this equation if he were here this year, and it wouldn't be so much falling on the shoulders of Bullock and Finney-Smith. But whatever it is, a return to health for Hardaway, the development of Green, doing something else in you know, roster construction this offseason, they've got to get more depth. So next playoffs... Vinny Smith and Bullock don't have to play so many
0: games of 40-plus minutes. Don't have to be number one and number two in minutes played and miles yeah, traveled. exactly, exactly. And so. that's the whole point. That's why Nell Keen is even getting any minutes is because you have to provide some rest for those guys. Yeah. And one of them has to be on the floor at all times. Mm-hmm. But you've got to give them some break. They yeah. can't play 48 minutes.
2: Cactus Shane asking, in jest, of course, but it's an interesting thought. Who's the higher priority to resign this summer? Jalen Brunson? Or Theo Penson.
1: <laughs> Theo will be back. He is a priority to reset. Man,
0: I watched one possession. I was up there with you in, in the nest watching the first quarter, and Kid was basically at the half court right. marker, and Pinson was like right behind him, right. like just. I mean, <laughs> the thought of that ever happening in the Rick Carlisle era <laughs> of just the chaos that happens uh, on the court. He's just. It's just it's a free for all over there. And what is interesting to note, and I can tell you from the highest levels of the NBA, mm-hmm. that there won't be a fine for anything that happens at home. That okay. the the concern for the league is uh blocking road fans from their view of the action. So interesting. Okay. we won't see anything. We probably will see a fine after game five because right. the Mavs aren't changing right. what they do. And they'll willingly pay the fine, but we won't see one for bench decorum for any of the home because that is the main concern here. It's not being on the court or any of what they're talking about, although they're using that to use the fines. It is right. it is the, the fan's view of, of action that is the concern.
1: Well, you know, look, obviously the answer to that question, of course, is Brunson. Uh, but Pinson's a really, really important person to bring back because he's... Um, he's the new Daryl Armstrong. Yeah, he, it's abundantly clear that uh you know he's a big part of what's going on here from a chemistry leadership aspect of things. From intangible things that are obviously very hard to prove and demonstrate, but he's unquestionably part of it and, you know, very, very well respected, highly thought of. And I think he's a member of this Mavericks organization for a long, long time, Brian.
0: Yep. No question.
2: Uh final question I guess comes from me. I, I don't think I mean, that y'all got into Otto Porter's injury at all, but with him being out last night, and I don't know if he's going to be back in Game 5 or whatever. But I've
1: seen reporting from the Golden State side of things, before you go any farther, that indicates there's a pretty decent chance he's back tomorrow night.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that kind of disregards my er, – Well, ask it anyway. It disqualifies my question. But without him, I mean, it felt like he was making a really big impact on the series. Without him, you're having to go to Kaminga or Moody, and I thought Moody was pretty good. But it felt like they were really, really missing Porter last night.
1: Um, it hurt them. You know, Moody and Kuminga were big part of the fourth quarter comeback, and they might give you a little bit more offensive explosiveness than Porter does at this stage of his career. And both of them, uh, relatively speaking, being explosive in the fourth quarter, were part of the comeback last night. But, uh, you know, in a closeout game, you would much rather have Otto Porter on the floor, you know, a guy who's been in the league 10 years uh, compared to Kuminga or Moody. So it's – yeah, his. His absence is uh, potentially problematic. Obviously, there's enough talent on the roster that they can overcome that. But, you know,
0: I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they missed him last night. We just talked about depth. And that's the kind of player that in the offseason you get that doesn't make a big splash, mm-hmm. but can provide good depth minutes for you. Smart player. Yep. You know, Kaminga's going to make some mental mistakes on you. Moody's young, all that kind of thing that, that yes, I think on the margins, you know he is a he's a factor in that length defensively and his ability to hit shots on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he's got
1: far more of an NBA pedigree than anyone else that they would bring off the bench to be the seventh man. And you know, with yeah. Pool obviously being their sixth man, their first guy off the bench, Pool's been the seventh guy. Or I'm sorry, uh, 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 Porter's been the seventh guy in their rotation. Pool obviously is. The I first mean, Beal
0: got his first minutes of the series. Yeah, uh, Toscano Anderson played one minute in in this game. Yeah. Uh Lee, we saw. Basically, lost Kerr's confidence in that game too, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's been you know Pool and and uh, Porter and Porter, yeah. Uh,
2: right. Final one observation: oh, you have stat, one. stat, stat. I got a stat for you guys. Okay. Um, somewhere in there talking about rebounding. Last night the Mavs got eighty three point seven percent of available defensive rebounds. Um, third time, an enormous number. Very, very good, yeah. yeah. Third time this playoffs, they've gotten at least 80% of those. They're 3-0 in those games. Wow. So you get rebounds, you win games.
1: Yeah, I mean, a, an average defensive rebounding these days is in the you know, 73 74% range, something along those lines. So, yeah, when you're getting up well over 80 like that, that's a, that's a fantastic performance on the defensive class. Uh,
0: listen, Jake, again, his principles are easy. Mm-hmm. Drove, penetrate, hit open threes, play defense, finish plays. There you go. And the rebounding is there. And a key thing on the defense, and I think Maxie talked about this last night, um, and there was an article about this recently too, and I've heard this from inside the organization from a couple of different people, that you know, they drill so much of how they play defensively that it's, they just know it now. Right. And there's no confusion there. And it's this 80-20 rule where they're playing the same defense, no matter the opponent, 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. And then that 20% is tailored. To, to the, the strengths opponent. and weaknesses of the particular And so this opponent. motion offense, they're still playing the same defense they ran in the last two series, and they ran in a regular season. Right. So they're not changing from game to game. And I think in years past, they did that, and that causes confusion by yes. definition. Right. But they've drilled the principles, the rotation, the help, everything so much. Mm-hmm. And Maxie talked about this in others. that, um, That's why they can defensively really lock down, know what they do, trust, mm-hmm. have the chemistry, have the communication. And then specifically tailor some things through the video work in a series, before a series, and during a series to take away things and make little adjustments like switching on the initial action that they showed in the last game. So that's why the defense is tightening up.
1: Yeah, there's no bigger detriment to uh, a performer or a talent or a player or whatever, whether it's television broadcasting or uh, being an actor or being a basketball player, confusion is as detrimental as anything else that you could possibly come up with. So, you know, that's to your point. That's why, uh, you know, the the defensive principles they've put in place and that they've uh, honed over the course of the year, which is why we said at you know, early in the season, I know this seems like it's overly simplified analysis, but, you know, it's not always about trying to, like, demonstrate, oh, look at all this stuff that I know. You know, it's like they figured out the system. And that's why it took, a, you know, it took – uh, erratic results and up-and-down performances in the first two months, uh, but they finally kind of got the buy-in, got the understanding of it, and that's why the defense improved so much over the back two-thirds of the season and why it's been, uh, you know, not perfect, but but they've had a lot of really, really good defensive performances in these playoffs.
0: Well, we'll uh, look forward to the game Thursday night. If it's a W, click on Twitch yeah. after the game for Bobby uh, check out everything on the Mavs YouTube channel if you're watching us. There's some great stuff on there, and you can listen to a lot of those press conferences that I referenced. Um, if you're on audio, we're on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, we're on audio. We're also on Twitch Live. Um, so, thanks for joining us on Take That With You.